For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You gotta love it. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to today's edition of our KDHL in Minnesota program. Our police chief is in uniform. He knows he's got to keep me on my best behavior, so he's here with his taser and his gun and and his badge, and the mayor said earlier this week, good morning, by the way. Good morning, Gordy. John Sherwin. The um, mayor said earlier this week that, what was it, in, during the council meeting, there was a decision to go to a different handgun in the department? Yeah, yeah, uh, just a different uh, uh, caliber of firearm. Um, you know, we're one of the, currently we carry 45 caliber handguns, um, and our guns are um, near replacement age anyway, uh, or they're due for replacement. So um, we did some uh, looking internally within the police department. And, um, you know, we're probably one of the only law enforcement agencies left in the state that has that caliber, that high a caliber. Uh, most uh, agencies have transitioned to nine millimeter handguns. Um, and so we're actually doing that uh, this year. Or coming up this year in 2024. So this is something that you wanted to do. Is this what you had in Rochester? Uh, y yes, we did. But I mean that that was that's really not the reason. You know, I mean that's not we're not replicating Rochester. We're we, no. we just we had an opportunity to look at um, you know our guns needed replacement anyway. We have a, a 45 caliber firearm. Um, for those that listeners that are out there that know firearms, um, you know, kind of there's this. Uh, stereotype and stigma about the 45 caliber has more knockdown power um etc but you know really ballistically um the studies show that it's not that significant compared to a nine millimeter round which has a little bit higher velocity um and plus there's there's a lot of reasons why we'd make that transition the 45 caliber heavier uh, handgun is you have less you can carry less rounds on your on your body so if you if you look at our uh, officers, some of them have four or five handgun magazines, um, and that's simply because they can carry less rounds, uh, so they have to have more magazines, whereas a 9mm, uh, you're looking at a 17-round magazine, um, which will, you know, you only see officers carry three uh, magazines now. Uh, they have more, more um, rounds on them, and then they also... Uh, the studies have shown that for most people, the 9mm, they can shoot far more accurately um, because there's less of a, a kick. Uh, and then the firearm itself is a little bit smaller. So you can imagine with uh, uh, 35, uh, an authorized strength of 35 unique human beings, not everybody's hand is the same size. So, yep. um, you know, for the, for the uh, larger framed officers, the 45 caliber is a little bit easier for them to shoot. But... You know, we have we have uh, various shapes and sizes of police officers and strength um, and ages. And, um, you know, the nine millimeter, we should see our accuracy increase during our uh, qualifications and other things. And, um, you know, if you're if you ever are unfortunate enough to be in a gun gunfight, um, the accuracy is more important than knockdown power. Right. Because if you're not hitting the target, you're in trouble. So. 
all those things considered, we've uh, we've uh, tested and evaluated guns. We had our firearms instructors and some of our uh, officers uh, who who really aren't gun people, but had them out on the range and they got to test a variety of calibers and make some models of guns. And they've they chose the uh, the Smith and Wesson uh, M and P nine millimeter handgun. So American made gun, uh, and uh, um, you know we're going to be transitioning to that. So so this kind of through attrition, you're saying? No, well, I mean, like I said, our guns are due to be replaced anyway, so we'll, we'll replace them all in 2024. Um, we have this unique... Um, what happens to the old guns? The old guns will be, we'll get a credit. They'll be sold to a licensed, uh, a licensed firearm dealer. We'll then sell them. Um, and we'll get credit that's put toward the purchase of the new guns. Okay. Um, you know, technology's changed for, for handguns as well. Um, we're actually transitioning to optical sights versus the standard, um, you know, uh, uh, peg sights that would be on a handgun. An optical sight is actually a, a, a laser, a, a, like a, a dot, a red dot or green dot. Um, and that is also something that uh, we'll be training on and should increase our um, proficiency with firearms and accuracy. So it's really uh, uh, kind of a big change and a transition. You know, firearms technology is, you know, it, it was big when, you know, in the 80s when departments transitioned from wheel guns or revolvers to semi-automatic. Uh, and now we're seeing a lot of off, uh, departments transition from just your normal uh, uh, sight uh, to optical sights or laser laser guided sighting so Are officers given an opportunity to purchase the gun when uh so when when an officer would retire they they it's they could potentially purchase their gun it would have to go through um a, a federal firearms dealer like we can't sell we're, we're not licensed as a right. department to sell guns yep. so it could be transferred and then they could they could pay for the replacement cost of that firearm but that doesn't happen is what i'm thinking oh no it does it does you know i mean some people are attached to their firearm yeah, that's what aren't. i was thinking uh you know um and and some people have other you know uh for myself personally i have a uh my own personal firearm that i'll carry when i'm off duty or whatnot so um that's a little more practical than the the police issued firearms because they're larger frames they're harder to conceal um if you saw me off duty you would have no idea that i have a, a gun on me so but I do. So. No, that's good to know. We're going to take a break here, get our opening market report. It's school bus safety week. I am shocked. I was shocked when he told us this before school started. I'm even more shocked now at the number of school bus stop arm violations that we've experienced here in the Faribault Public School District. The chief will hopefully share those numbers with us in our next segment. I think you will be shocked as well, ladies and gentlemen. Our opening market report a service of Lance at LNK Concrete LLC. Custom concrete flatwork handyman services. They prep it, pour it, book your spring project right now and get 15% off the total cost. That's L-K-ConcreteLLC.com. L-K-ConcreteLLC.com. Northland Buildings, quality post frame construction. Head to NorthlandBuildings.com. And Craig Keller at the Keller Insurance Agency in Near Strand. Craig helps protect everything near and dear to you. Hog, or rather, uh, 
uh, let's go with uh, soybean and cattle futures are lower in the early going on Thursday morning. Corn's mostly weak. Hogs are up. I'm John Perkins with a Brownfield Market Update. With Stein, growers have access to decades of knowledge from the experts who will ensure you get the yield benefits their products can bring. Stein, dedicated to yield, committed to you. Soybeans are lower on profit-taking this morning. Near-term harvest conditions do look mostly favorable, aside from scattered showers in some areas, mostly in the uh, northern and eastern Corn Belt. Crush margins are solid, and weekly export numbers for beans were bullish. November's down eight and three quarters at thirteen oh two and a quarter. January's ten and a quarter lower at thirteen nineteen and a quarter. December bean meals twenty cents lower at four thirteen sixty, and December bean oils down one hundred twenty two at fifty three sixty four. Corn's mostly weak, watching U.S. harvest activity along with planning weather in South America. Weekly export numbers were decent, but overall sales continue to be slow. December's up three quarters at 492 and three quarters. March corn's down three quarters at 505 and three quarters. And wheat's mostly lower. China was the big buyer for U.S. wheat last week, but this week's rumors of new demand remain unconfirmed. The exception, December Chicago's up one and a half at 581 and three quarters. Everything else is down. On profit taking and the lack of follow through buying after yesterday's rally, December cotton's 117 lower at 83.05. And with the uh, kind of a disappointing week on export numbers, November rice is steady at 15.86. Cattle are down ahead of widespread direct business and Fridays on feed numbers. Most active December live is down 40 at 186.80. Most active January feeders are 90 lower at 250. And with monthly livestock slaughter numbers out this afternoon, December hogs are up 80 at 68.82 and February leans 92 higher at 73.22. Over in the broader market, crude oil's down. John Perkins, Brownfield. AM Minnesota on the Mighty 920 KDHL. All right, we're ready for some more AM Minnesota. But first of all, I got to tell you, T&W Towing is your heavy-duty towing and recovery expert. And 321 Fence in Faribault, they specialize in top-quality fences for residential and commercial properties. Go to 321FenceINC.com, 321FenceINC.com, and start the countdown to your next fence project. Well, we're not fenced in, but we're in the KDHL studios right off Central Avenue in downtown Faribault. John Sherwin is the police chief for the city of Faribault. This is Bus Safety Week. And I was alarmed at the number of stop arm violations you said we had in September here. Yeah, you know, it, uh, uh, it's bus safety week, but really, it, it shouldn't need its own week. It That's should true. be every day. But, uh, you know, here at, to highlight some of it, and, you know, um, last year, uh, Faribault Transportation, who provides all the busing services for the schools, they received a state grant that enabled them to buy cameras for... All their buses and the stop arms. Uh, the stop arms, right? So um, that that's a game changer, folks, when it comes to enforcement of of those type of violations. For, because they prove it right there on the camera. Right, it's on the camera. It's hard to dispute that you didn't go through the stop arm when your vehicle and you are within the frame of the camera. These are pretty high resolution and detailed cameras. Um, They'll get you inside. You're saying, yeah. For sure, for sure. And, and, you know, because this grant has been awarded, I've, I've worked with Variable Transportation to help them kind of support their reporting that they need to do uh, for the grant. And so they contact me every, uh, uh, Garrett at Variable Transportation contacts me every quarter, and I give them the stats. And, uh, you know, the quarter runs, you know, uh, while well, the most recent third quarter ran from July to October, and 
I was just looking at those stats last week, and and obviously uh, there's no school in July and for most of August, right. so the numbers were uh, not there. But uh, you know, just in the since the start of school, uh, there's been close to 20 stop on violations reported to Faribault PD. Wow. Uh, and our officers investigate each one of those. They watch the cameras. Um, and for the most part, they're able to follow up and issue citations to drivers uh, who, you know, I, I believe most people aren't, they're not intentionally going through stop arms, but this is one of those things that's inattentive. It's inattentive driving um, and it, it happens uh, just like uh, uh, oversized vehicles hit the 7th Street Bridge, which we had another one of those yesterday. Um, yeah, that's a few times a month thing. Uh, yesterday was a good one, though. That was... Uh, I really stuck, but, um, um, you know, the point is, is that attention matters when you're driving. And, and you got glaring, flashing lights and everything else. lights, and, and usually, you know, most of the drivers, they hit the pre-worn lights, so, you know, you'll see the, the amber to red, and then the arm comes out, and yet we still have violations that occur, and they're captured on video, and for the most part, um, we're able to then identify drivers have a conversation with them and when appropriate issue tickets uh, for that offense. And, you know, if you violate a stop arm when there's students present outside the bus and are crossing, uh, that's a gross misdemeanor offense, which, you know, could, you could be sentenced to up to a year in jail uh, for that offense. It's a $500 fine. I correct. Think. Yep. Correct. So it's, it's going to hit you in the pocketbook and it, it could, if it was egregious enough and depending on the. Go on your record. It, it will go on your record and you could spend jail time. Um, you know, the last thing, and, and the reason why that is so strict is obviously we don't want kids hit. You know, it's uh, um, it's up to drivers to be aware when they're on school buses. So Now, in the past, I would guess, it's just a guess, mm-hmm. you had people that said, well, I wasn't driving the vehicle. Yeah, it was a little bit more difficult to prove, at least prove beyond a reasonable doubt or at least get to that level of probable cause where an officer was um, comfortable in either issuing a ticket or referring it for a higher level charge. Um, but really, the, the cameras make it a game changer, just like cameras on police officers change the narrative, right? Uh, and you've got them at virtually mm-hmm. every intersection now, right? Well, the, the cameras... On the well, lights? That's a little bit of a misnomer because people look up and see the camera. But all that is is, you know, in the old days, you used to have a sensor underneath the roadway. The the sensors are now cameras, so the lights are smart. Um, and, and when they see an object there, they know to change and cycle. So those cameras don't record generally on oh, stoplights. Okay. Um, um, but, but obviously the cameras on school buses do. So, In a lot of the metro area intersections. Some will have traffic cameras, but generally when you see, when you pull up to an intersection, you see what looks like a camera. That is a camera, but it's only there to determine when the lights need to cycle, right? Um, they, they've replaced that um, underground sensor that, that used to be at stoplights. To well, I still turn. seem to have to wait a long time, so they might not sense real well. Well, some of them are, <laughs> you know, there are some lights in Faribault, and this would be more of a question for our city engineer. Right, right, um, right. But, uh, some of the lights are in the process. I know, at least on Lindale, I've heard that they'll be transitioned out when MnDOT does an upgrade there uh, in the next uh, few years. So you'll go from underground sensors to the photo. Um, yeah, the photo and I know I, I was talking, well, 
our new roundabout. Were you at the ribbon cutting? I sure was. I didn't see you, Gordy. Well, it's a one o'clock. I just get done doing the news yeah. here. Eh? We would have waited for you. But. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's nice. In fact, I, I couldn't wait to drive through it. And Friday morning last week in the rain, I had to take a trip out and do a circle just to say I did it and then <laughs> come back. So, And then I was there at the ribbon cutting on, on Monday. So it's really, they did a nice job. So, so you don't see any problems with it? I don't know. I think it will actually, um, especially once that intersection becomes busier, we're going to see reduced accidents there. Um, it's not that complicated. Uh, you know, I would argue that some of the roundabouts in Mankato that are three lanes and suddenly you're stuck in a lane and you have to go right and you didn't intend to, those are a little bit more complicated, but this is a single lane roundabout. Uh, should be pretty self-explanatory for most folks. Yeah, the only thing I thought when I went out there and I watched for a little while is semis are going to have a hard time going north on Highway 3 coming out of there because there's car after car after car after car after truck after truck after well, car. Potentially, on but, three. It, you know, if you've been up, you know, uh, Bagley with the Interstate 35 traffic, there's plenty of semis that are taking the detour, yep. um, and they're not having any problems at the roundabout there, so... Um, it's wide enough that, uh, uh, that you know, as, as I was standing there on Monday, uh, watched a coach bus come out, watched uh, several large semis loaded with, you know, um, uh, turkeys and other things. And they were going north. Without any issue, yeah. Yeah, without any issue. You know, people just have to realize that when you approach the roundabout, it's a, it's a yield sign. If there aren't cars coming, don't stop. Yield. Keep going. That means you don't have to stop if there's no one there. So um, that's that's really the maybe one of the things that some drivers will need to get used to. Like that is not a stop sign. It's a yield sign. That doesn't mean you stop. It means you proceed if you're able to. And if there's oncoming traffic, then you yield. So uh, just uh, it brings up a note. Do your officers give input on changes that they'd like to see at certain intersections? I, I realize you're not the street department, but... Yeah, no, not, not directly, but obviously the work that they do in documenting crashes and other things, that's reviewed through the state, uh, and that's all considered in road design and factors, and um, roundabouts have certainly proven to uh, make intersections, especially rural intersections or higher-speed intersections, much safer because you avoid... If you have a collision... It's not a right angle collision, right? And that's where people die, right? When you have an impact right on your driver's door or, you know, you have that 90 degree impact. Roundabouts, if there are crashes, generally um, are glancing or involve single vehicles that haven't anticipated the turn and they run up over the middle. And well, and you're not on. generally going at a speed that's going to result gonna slow, in a you death. Have, you have to slow down. Um, again, you have to slow down, but you don't need to stop unless there's oncoming vehicles. So um, that's kind of my roundabout lesson for folks who may be listening. But I was just shocked at that number. 20 seems like a lot of stop arm violations to me. Yeah, and that's pretty consistent from each of the quarters. We've been tracking it for uh, about a year, you know, a little over a year now. And, and um, yeah, it's about 20 a quarter, um, at least during the school year months. So, I know you wanted to pass along some information. You're pretty proud that your department got a couple of grants here recently. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, we received a, uh, and, and these these are these are grants that I, I believe are going to make a difference in in um, helping our crime rate, and they're saving tax 
taxpayer dollars uh, because they're otherwise earmarked federal funds that would be going to someone else. So uh, we applied through the grant uh, process and that's a that's a pretty rigorous process where you have to you know you have to outline your plans for um, what you're going to do to reduce crime uh, and then someone has to review those plans and then they sign off and they determine what award you'll receive and our plan um, to use technology to help us reduce crime uh, especially violent crime uh, was reviewed and approved by the federal government and they awarded us the entire three hundred thousand dollars so I'm proud of that and happy to see that effort come to fruition. So, so can you give us more specifics about Absolutely. the plan? Absolutely. So some of the some of the you know, you might be asking, well, what's what what's going to cost so much money that you need that for? Well, um, you know, as as many people are aware, about uh, five six years ago, there were um, surveillance uh, public surveillance cameras uh, installed on Central Avenue, uh, and, and generally more. To the corridor around, uh, you know, the the two and three hundred blocks of North Central, um, this grant funds will allow us to expand that network. Uh, actually, up to almost here at uh, at the radio station, so we'll be able to keep an eye on you, Gordy. So, well, uh, I probably need to have that happen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's just one aspect of it. The other are, um, you know, we're we're going to look to establish partnerships with uh, different community groups, and we have some. Uh, ability to uh, fund um, some outreach in that regard to deploy what what's called a Varda alarm. Um, so most of our violent crime in Faribault is is people that are in relationships together, uh, people that are high, you know, that, domestic uh, violence, domestic violence uh, that results in felony level assault. Um, and there's technology now that we can. We'll be able to purchase uh, alarm systems that we can issue to high-risk victims of domestic violence so they can surreptitiously contact law enforcement before before a, a crime is committed so we can be summoned and be on our way. So um, that's something that I think will have a direct impact on on our high-risk victims within the community. We, we hope to work with the Hope Center in regard and um, kind of deploy some of this technology and, and, and see how it goes. Um, we're also going to look at uh, one thing we really haven't done or had the ability to do in Faribault is to analyze our crime and, you know, um, where it's occurring and uh, how we can have strategies to, to focus on that. So we have some funds set aside for uh, some computer software and other things that can really look at our local data and we can be a little bit more strategic in how we deploy officers and, and what we tell them to focus on based on on reality, not just assumptions. So, We fully staffed now? Uh, we are not. Um, we've lost some officers um, and we're hiring, but the candidate pool is um, uh, not very deep and it's uh, not very big. So um, we have some promising young candidates coming up that are currently our community service officers uh, and we're we just advertised for hiring yesterday so we're hiring if anyone listening knows anyone who's interested in law enforcement please steer them our way you're almost always in hiring mode aren't you yeah yeah generally i i mean i think that's true for pretty much every law enforcement agency it's not it's not just Faribault; it's statewide it's nationwide 
Um, and we're looking for uh, quality candidates. I'm looking for people of character. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not willing to sacrifice character uh, just to have a warm body. Uh, so, you know, we, we're not going to lower our standards. But at the same time, um, we're hoping to find good people. Full staff is what, 35? 35. Thirty-five. Yeah. And what sort of training do they have to go through? Well, there's, I mean, there's all kinds of requirements at the state level. You, you uh, just can't uh, say I want to be a police officer and, and, and do it. You have to have uh, at least a two-year degree uh, in criminal justice, law enforcement, and then you have to attend a state-sponsored uh, skills program, law enforcement skills program. Or, and that's, that's your ticket or your pathway to be licensed as a police officer in Minnesota. Uh, you can go to four-year school as well, uh, four- or two-year degree, and then um, that law enforcement skills certificate. Or if you are a police officer in another state, um, if you have five years of experience, you then qualify for uh, law reciprocity. You could... You could um, apply for the post board to be eligible to be a licensed police officer in Minnesota. Um, or also if you have military police experience, there's a pathway to being licensed in Minnesota. So it's a little bit difficult um, to get your foot in the door, at least to start out. And that's what makes it a little bit harder for us in Minnesota. Um, other states, um, you don't have to have that specific law enforcement education uh, to be hired as a police officer. So. Um, that's a bit of a challenge. Obviously, uh, law enforcement students and their numbers at the uh, in Minnesota colleges have uh, decreased uh, almost exponentially the last five years. Um, it's not just a, a 2020 pandemic, George Floyd-related fallout. Uh, numbers were actually declining prior to that, um, but that just helped to accelerate the the, the pace. Um, Earlier uh, last week, I uh, had the opportunity to speak to a couple of government classes at, at Faribault High. And uh, one class uh, had about 14 students in it. The other had uh, probably close to 25 or 30. And um, as I was speaking to them, I asked each, you know, anybody interested in law enforcement? Well, one class had maybe one and a half hands up and the, the larger class of 24 to 30 had none. Uh, Five ten years ago, there would have been at least a half dozen hands up in probably both classes. So why is that? You think? I guess I don't know. Um, you know, I I think that obviously there's been a stigma placed on law enforcement. Well, there's uh, more violence now than there was five ten years ago. Yeah, or maybe there's more focus on violence. I mean, to me, law enforcement's always been a dangerous profession. I mean, police officers have always been killed in the line of duty. So. Uh, there's probably more of a hyper focus on violence. Certainly, there's a hyper focus on on officers who um, may have used force, some of it inappropriately, um, and obviously they see the scrutiny that that um, that officers fall under, um, criminal charges and other things. Some appropriate, some one might argue not so appropriate, but. Um, you know, that, that probably, if I'm a 17 or 18-year-old kid trying to decide my future, uh, why would I want to deal with that? Um, but, you know, I try to emphasize with them the, 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 
the, the great parts of this job, the service to the community, uh, the fact that it is a, a fairly well-paying career. Um, you know, certainly to start off, um, you know, to start off as a law enforcement uh, officer with uh, very little experience in Faribault or Rice County in general, you're going to make about $70,000 a year. Uh, More than a first-year teacher. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. No. Uh, in fact, you know, I just personally, my, my son has a four-year accounting degree from the University of Minnesota, and uh, he's just starting his career off, and he makes about the same as a starting police officer salary. So um, it, it's, uh, it's something that I think a lot of students don't realize. They don't understand uh, the benefits of being part and contributing to a state pension system. Um, they're thinking about, you know, the next five years. They're not thinking about 35 years from now. Um, so when you point those things out to students, in fact, the class of, you know, 30 that had no one, at the end, a student came up to me and said, hey, after listening to you talk, I'm, I'm kind of interested now. Uh, so I, I think it's just we have to do a better job of educating the next generation of cops um, because they're going to see the negative things that have happened in law enforcement and they're, they're in it for the right reasons. Um, and that's, that's what we want. Those are the cops that are going to, that are going to make the difference. And, and, uh, you know, that's, that's what we're seeking and looking for. And, and I think most chiefs would, uh, would say the same thing if they're sitting here, you know, we want the, the next generation of cops to be better than we were. So. All right. Well, thanks chief. Appreciate your stopping by. Absolutely. John Sherwin. He's the chief of the Faribault police department. You folks have a great rest of your For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.